Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Gage, it's good to be back after a, a little bit of a, we have, we have uh, life and being a, a dad and being a, a pastor, uh, uh, those stresses being what they are, cu- coupled with the busyness of summertime. Uh, have made our episode uploads a little more sporadic, so we've we've uh, mm-hmm. we recognize uh, the elephant in the room, and that is everybody is saying, "Hey, this used to be a weekly podcast, and now it's been about a every other week or every ten days podcast." So, uh, thank you for your patience as we are struggling to balance uh, getting this out uh, with the other ministry and family needs that we have. But we are glad to be back. Uh, before we speaking of being back. Uh, the Assurance of Pardon podcast is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. If you are interested in taking your Bible study uh, to the next level, uh, check out Logos Bible Software, where you can uh, simultaneously open up all your commentaries on whatever the passage is that you are studying at once and see them and uh, study make, uh, get more done in the time that you spend in the scriptures, see more, spend less time flipping pages and looking for commentaries, but everything is there at your fingertips. If you're interested in that, you can go to assuranceofpardon.com slash logos, and we have partnered with them to get a special discount for Assurance of Pardon listeners. Gage, what are we talking about today? Well, you know, we have kicked off our series in uh, Jesus in the, in the Old Testament, where we're going to look through uh, the Old Testament. Uh, we may spend several weeks in a book. We may spend one week in a book. Uh, we may cover a whole whole section of the Old Testament uh, sometimes it, it, when it uh, makes sense to. But we're going to dig into the Old Testament uh, for several episodes, and we want you to see that if all of the scriptures about Jesus, if all the promises of the text have their yes and amen in Christ, um, if, uh, as Jesus said, uh, beginning with uh, Moses and the prophets, he showed how all of those things were leading to him, as he did for the guys on the road of Emmaus, um, if that all those things are true, and we believe they are, uh, how do you see that? And how does that change your Bible study? And how does that change the way you, way you you read things? You know, even this morning uh, during men's prayer breakfast, we we prayed together and then headed over to Chick Fil A um, and uh, ate the Lord's chicken. And as we were eating the Lord's chicken, um, one of my uh, congregational members uh, said, "Hey, I got a question about Psalm seven and." He was wrestling with it, verse eight, where David talks about his own righteousness and how the Lord, Lord, please judge me by my own righteousness. And he was like, well, how does that work if our righteousness is like filthy rags? Well, understanding that when you get to certain texts and you think, well, that can't be true about me. What does that say about Jesus is a helpful hermeneutic. So we're, we're going to dig into where we see that. And we're going to pick it up today in Genesis. You know, we started last week. Um, with our episode uh, on Jesus in the in the Old Testament, we we dug into 
the creation narrative and how Jesus was there at the beginning uh, with creation. We looked at the fall we, and we looked at several different occurrences there. Uh, the, the brokenness of, which caused a need for a savior, the proton evangelion, which is the big fancy Latin word that means uh, the first gospel that was given uh, by uh, God uh, to his people about Jesus. And then uh, Scott, you talked about, the righteousness uh, foreshadowing in the covering of Adam and Eve through the skins of the animal and the shedding of blood. And so that, that kind of kicks us off in Genesis and we're going to pick it up today. Uh, Scott, where, where are we today in Genesis? Yeah. The old joke is uh, um, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel and Cain killed Abel. And what did Adam and Eve do after Cain killed Abel? They raised Cain. There's a, I need a rim shot. That's a cheesy, cheesy uh, joke. That's a dad joke. If this, if this were TikTok, that would be where the ot, ot, ot would come from. If you've seen that TikTok about dad jokes. I'm, for, um, I'm 48 years old. I don't do TikTok. So, um, <laughs> well, I'm, that's I'm, what, I'm a, when, when you're in student ministry, you have to know those things. So, um, anyway, yes, that was a terrible dad joke. Uh, but we're in Genesis four, uh, kicking it off with, um, Cain and Abel, and, and kind of by way of transition to, to set up where we are and how we, we process and think about, about Jesus in this text. From the very beginning, you see in the way that, that Adam and Eve named their children, that this promise that God had given them, that the, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, they're thinking immediately. Correct. Right? They're thinking, okay, the next child, the first child we have is going to get us out of this mess. And you start to kind of see that to be the reality in every single descendant that move, moves on, right? And and even to how they name kids and what they're looking for and the characteristics they're, they're looking for. But that's not what we see in Genesis 4, is it, Scott? No, it's not. In fact, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, when, when Cain is born... Uh, Adam and Ad, now Adam knew his wife, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, "I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord." But the there's a direct article there in in the Hebrew. She actually says, uh, some scholars would translate it, "I have gotten the man with the help of the Lord." Uh, she believed that Cain was the promised redeemer, and so he he grow he um, they grew up. He grew up likely thinking that, um, but what what happens is we uh, um, very. I'll, I'll just read it. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Um, well, we know what happens. Cain kills Abel, and there's a phrase in there that we want to we want to unpack, uh, where God says to Cain, "This is chapter four, verse nine." Then the Lord said to Cain, "Where is Abel your brother?" 
Now, by the way, let's stop right there because this is super helpful. When God asks questions of people in the Bible, does God ask questions because he's trying to fill some sort of (laughs) hole in his understanding? Like, I've looked high and low. I'm in heaven. I see all things. I am omniscient. There's nothing I don't know except this one thing. Where's your brother? Of course not. We see this with Adam and Eve. They hid in the garden and God says, hey, where are you? Does, does does God ask questions because he's trying to learn something? Of course not. We can't say no. that or he wouldn't be God. No, God asks questions in situations like this because he's calling them to confess. That is a call to confession. God knows where Abel is. God knows that Abel is dead in a field somewhere uh, with a with a, a rock, a blunt force trauma rock wound to the head. He knows exactly where Abel is. And then again, he does it again. Uh, you know, uh, Cain lies to the Lord and says, I, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And then the Lord says, what have you done? Again, call to confession. Call to confession. Right. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. The the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Uh, Gage, we if we are going to read the, the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, and if we are going to let the New Testament inform for us what we make of the Old Testament, if the New Testament is the only inspired commentary on the Old Testament, um, where do we hear of this being referenced again in the New Testament that we can go to and and lay on top of this to understand how to, how, how to read it? Yeah, Scott. So Hebrews chapter 12 is where we want to go. So the the writer of Hebrews has been laying out his argument throughout Hebrews, if you're familiar with the letter, uh, of how Jesus is the true and better, right? He's better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the sacrificial system, better than Aaron because he has a higher uh, priesthood. And then in chapter 12, uh, picking up in verse 18, just to kind of lay the context for the statement having to do with Abel, He's going to say, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and the tempest, right? So you should think Exodus 20 when you're reading that. Uh, And then it says, and the sound of a trumpet, a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was it the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear but you have come. So this is, you know, where you were, right? This is the old Testament. Uh, this is the law, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels and festal gathering verse 23 and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. So there's that, that picture pointing back to the tabernacle and, and sprinkling blood on the mercy seat. And this blood, which is Jesus's blood that was shed at the cross that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what, what's the writer of Hebrews saying here? He's saying in the same way that Abel's blood cried out for justice and cried out because sin had been committed 
against him. And, it, and God said, hey, I, I can hear the blood of your brother crying out to me. We have one in Christ who his actual innocent blood shed on our behalf speaks a better word. It cries louder. It covers a multitude of sins. In that, in that moment with Cain and Abel, you see this interaction and you, you see even in, in the way the story unfolds, right? Cain is kind of meant cast out from the family and he has to go his own way. And there's a mark that's put on him. And, and, and you see kind of this contrast even between generations uh, or seed serpent theology, right? Uh, John Curry talks about this in his commentary. We'll put a link in the show notes, but it's this idea that you have this generation after generation lineage or seeds of people, offsprings of people who are following the Lord. They're calling upon, uh, calling upon the name of the Lord. And then you see kind of Cain and his generations and, and Esau and others who aren't right. Um, and, and from the very beginning, you, you even get this impression from the the moment of Cain's sin against his brother, that something more needed to be done, that there was still brokenness that, that couldn't be prepared just by Cain making it right. Cause it wasn't really, there wasn't really a way at that point that Cain can make it right. Yeah, that's exactly right. What we have is the, the writer to the Hebrews is contrasting what Jesus, what Jesus blood does for us over and against what Abel's blood did, right? God the Father is saying, I hear first of all, there's just this this idea of of uh, of blood speaking on our behalf, right? Mm-hmm. This speaking mm-hmm. a word to God, this idea uh, of blood testifying of God saying, I hear what that blood is saying. And and he and the writer of the Hebrews is making clear um that that Jesus' word speaks, a, Jesus' blood speaks a a better word. What is the word that Jesus' blood cries out to the Father that's better than mm-hmm. what Abel's? It is forgiveness, reconciliation, yep. adoption, washing away of sins. And yes. so, when we come to Hebrews chapter four, Gen- Genesis chapter four, and we read this story of Cain and Abel, and you just kind of. It, uh, without the without the New Testament, you, we just kind of read it and go, "What do I do with that?" Right? What do I do there? I don't, I, I don't know what to do there. And so, I think a lot of folks maybe they sit down and they say, "I'm going to read through the Book of Genesis. I'm going to read through the Bible," and they get to they get to passages like this, and they just, why? Maybe they go, "You know what? I should just read the New Testament because I don't, I don't, right. I don't know what to do here." And and we go no you you read the new you read the old testament but read it with the new testament in mind let the new testament inform for you and so that you can see even here in one brother killing another brother see how the gospel is either spoken or uh, uh, compared to uh, over and against um, just let. That and if you don't have a study Bible, the Reformation Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, um, we can put some links to those in the show notes. Check some of those out. Another, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, uh, obviously, Logos Bible software. If you have Logos Bible software, you can um, you can have the Reformation Study Bible there in your in your commentaries. And as you are studying it, you are seeing the notes as you go. But um, 
Yeah, I just we we just wanted as we're moving through Genesis, we're going to skip on over to Noah in just a second. We just want you to see how um, a story like this is better sort of filled out and better understood in light of the New Testament if we if we know how to look for it. Yeah, and I would also say, Scott, you know, in in understanding, I think it was our buddy, our Lutheran buddy Chad Bird that that said on the show one time that the New Testament is actually the best commentary for the Old Testament. Um, and and when you read the story, before we move move on, one one more thing I would kind of point out: when you read the story of Abel, and you immediately think to yourself, that was a innocent per- person murdered in cold blood. Mm-hmm. We know that that. Abel in and of himself wasn't actually innocent or he wouldn't have needed to make a sacrifice right uh, in bringing his offering to God. And because sin effect affected everybody uh, in, in Adam, uh, including Cain and including Abel. But what that should do is make you think, what does this remind me of? Well, this reminds me of the greater son of Adam who actually was really innocent and who was murdered in cold blood for me. And so that that's another way in which you can see um, even that's that story there between Cain and Abel, the, the unjust murder uh, of a son of Adam pointing uh, us to Jesus. Yeah. Well, uh, Gage, let's uh, let's, we could spend more time talking about this, but we're, yeah. we don't want to get bogged down too far. Let's skip to the next major um Genesis story, and that is one that we're all familiar with, and that is the story of of Noah's Ark. And right. uh, you know, the story of Noah's Ark is a, uh, a a story that is everybody's favorite story to um, to tell to their uh, to to paint on on the wall in the nursery. <laughs> um, it, it is a, um, but the truth is, it's actually. In one sense, it's very, very dark. What's going yes. on there? I, I want to share with our uh, with our listeners. If you want to have some fun, go to Amazon and look at all of the things that uh, the the various children's products that are Noah's Ark themed. You've got toys and puzzles and pajamas and plush. Yeah stuffed animals and a, you know obviously <laughs> of course the bathtub toys but if you really want to have fun go and look at um go and look at m- book reviews for Noah's Ark uh uh children's books and you will find that if the children's book gets anywhere close to the, the, the children's storybook, if it gets anywhere close to the idea about God washing away uh, uh, eradicating in his wrath sinful humanity, you'll find that the Amazon reviewers are like, "This is a totally inappropriate thing for a children's book." I don't know why. I wish that yes. I'm gonna tear out these. I bought this for my nephew, but I looked at it. Fortunately, I looked at it before I stuck it in the birthday gift bag. Right. Um, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to tear out page two and page three. I want this to just be a story about a man who loves animals. And so we've we've taken we've taken this story uh, and we've turned it into kind of Doctor Doolittle, right? Just a, a man who who Correct. loves animals and can talk to animals. But boy, there's a whole lot there. There's a whole lot there. But our question that we have uh, is 
what does the story of Noah's Ark have to do with Jesus? Where is Jesus yeah. here? And how can we read Noah's Ark and see the gospel? Well, and Scott, I would say in getting into the story, before we get to, you know, Noah, Noah and the flood starts in chapter six, verse nine. But right before we get into that, I want us to go up a little further at the end of chapter five. And we start with this genealogy, right? With Methuselah, which is the oldest man in the Bible and others. Verse 28, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and he called his name Noah saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So even generations later, right? This is past Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and then Seth who comes. And this is from, from Seth's lineage. Generations later, Lamech is still looking. And obviously it, this idea would have been passed down to him. He didn't just come up with it this idea that they're looking for one in their family to save them from the curse. Yeah. They're looking, they're looking at Noah to be that they're expecting Noah to be that. Um, but that's not what we find at all. Right. Like it, in, but at the same time, what you see here in Noah is the contrast of, of the brokenness that's going on. Right. So then you get into chapter six which sets the stage for what is about to happen. And it says um, that when man began to multiply on the face of the land, verse, verse one of chapter six and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive and they, and they took them as wives, any they choose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh and his day shall be 120. So even then you start to see the Lord's having to sh even shorten the the lifespan of humanity, because if he doesn't, the evil is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Right. That's exactly. Um, right. And, and then verse five, yes, I am skipping the Nephilim because that's not what we're focusing on today, but verse five, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. So let's, let's stop there. Who does that include, Scott? That includes Noah. Right. So it's really important that th this isn't a moral story for you to be a Noah, right? This, this isn't a story for you to be like Noah when you grow up. Cause spoiler alert, after the flood, after the my man had seen the things that he had seen, his PTSD from the flood leads him to get drunk and naked on a beach. Yep. <laughs> and and yep. let's be honest, if we had saw what he saw, we all would probably have done the same thing. Yep, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. No, this is the the this is a picture of God in His grace choosing uh, a man and his family to save them by sheer grace mm -hmm. through a means that God provides. And that is an arc of safety. Yeah. And so what, what happens is, is that in the story of Noah and the ark, God provides a means 
that is an ark. Yes, and 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 by the way, that God provided the wood, God provided the the the, the skill, the know-how, the the energy to build it. God provided the 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 endurance for Noah to to, to do those things, but God provides an ark. God God gives a means by which Noah can be saved mm-hmm. and draws Noah to, into this process of building this ark. God provides an ark and Noah and his family are gathered into that ark and the the waters of God's judgment and wrath rained down on the entire world and washed it away and it experienced destruction. But those same waters of judgment that wiped away and washed away everything on the earth, those same waters of judgment fell on that ark and it bore it bore that wrath and lifted up those who were gathered safely inside of it. And so what we have here is we have a picture of the cross. We have a picture of, yeah. of Jesus who on the cross bore the wrath of God's judgment for the sins of the whole world in himself. And he bore it in our place. And we who are, what's the language that the, what's the prepositional phrase the Bible used to describe Christians? We who are in Christ, we who are hidden in him are lifted up and raised up to safety because God provided one who bore that wrath in our place. So Noah is not a Christ type as much as the ark is. Right. The ark is, is the Christ type. And we are, we are, like Noah and his family, and that is we are sinful people chosen by God's grace, gathered in to uh, to seek refuge and shelter from God's wrath by through the means that God has provided, and that is and that is Christ. He is our He is our ark. And when you understand that, we're going to see this over and over, when you understand that, then you can read Noah's Ark and it's a gospel. It's joy inflicting right. news. And again, you can use the New Testament as the commentary to explain this story, because this is how the apostles would have read uh, the Old Testament, right? It's, we, it, and it's important that we understand that that reality, because um, when we read Acts chapter 2 in passages like they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayer and the breaking of bread, what was the apostles' teaching? What was the Old Testament, Right. Uh, when we read when we read Ephesians chapter two that we are a house being built now we are we are the new temple in which the spirit dwells Christ is the cornerstone we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets well what was the foundation that they were teaching well it was first and foremost from the Old Testament and then as Revelation was being given it it's now what we have in the New Testament so the apostles in teaching weren't really even saying all things new. They were explaining some things. They were revealing this new age that had come in uh, post uh, resurrection and ascension with Christ and the coming of the spirit. But more than anything, when you go and read even the epistles, all they're doing is, is helping explain what the old Testament was talking about. And Peter does the same thing here in chapter three. And it's, it matters, Scott, that we, teach Noah's Ark correctly and, and explain what the Ark was representing and how it points to Christ and how the it's a moral story about you being a good Noah so that you can understand passages like 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 18. Yeah, that's right. And it right. says, 
For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited, when? In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And, And so here you see this connection that, Peter is explaining how Jesus is better than Noah, that Noah um, was used by God to bring people through, but that Christ suffers on our behalf that he might bring us through from, from the wrath of God to righteousness and to salvation. And then verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's something that isn't taught when we talk about Noah and the ark, right? Do we talk about the waters of baptism when we, we teach that story? Do we think about the ark as, as a means of saving? And do we show how it points to Jesus and the resurrection? Verse 22, who has gone into heaven, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels and the authorities and the powers having been subjected to him. So like, if you're not teaching the story of Noah and the ark and using first Peter as your guide to understand what's going on here, you're missing it, right? You're missing huge gaps of what the story is pointing to that Lamech and his son was looking for one to save him in his offspring. And it wasn't quite Noah. And that's the tension that you're going to feel every time with Noah, with Moses, with Abraham, with David, with Solomon. You're going to think, man, they got some good characteristics with Saul. They've got some good characteristics. They got some good leadership skills. They got some good uh, aspects to them, but they're just not quite it because you're looking for one that's better. And then even in the events that are going on. And we'll we'll, sh- we'll highlight these things throughout all the Old Testament. There are whispers like this in the ark, in the waters, in the the rescuing, um, the eight persons who, by the way, deserved the exact same thing that everybody else got, but instead got grace. Um, right. There are whispers that the Spirit is giving you to show you this is all one story. This is all pointing to one thing, and that's in Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I think that's our time for today. Is to is to help people see uh, how to read uh, the story of Cain and Abel, how to read the story of Noah in light of the story of Jesus, and to find uh, parallel passages in the in the New Testament and and read the Old Testament in light of them. So, uh, folks, we hope this has been helpful for you. There are, there are uh, scores of resources that we would love to recommend. Uh, one of them is, if you're not familiar with it, Nancy Guthrie has a very helpful series on Christ in the Old Testament that we will be um, pointing you to, maybe leaning on somewhat throughout this. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes gauge uh, for our listeners to check out. But um, uh, if you are interested in more podcasts like this, please uh, go to reformedpodcasts.com for the Society of Reformed Podcasters and check out some of some of those other great podcasts. It is a joy to be a part of the Society of Reformed Podcasters and to commend their their work to you as well. And uh, what else, Gage? Uh, just a couple other resources I would want to put on your radar. 
uh, our Lutheran buddy, Chad Bird, who we hope to have on in the series, um, has a phenomenal book currently out called uh, Un- Unveiling Mercy, where he takes us through 365 Hebrew words in the Old Testament and, and shows them in each daily devotion. It's also, if you're an audiobook person and you listen to podcasts, he's got it in podcast form. You can listen to it daily. He deals with with Noah, among other, other passages. Um, and then we're hoping to have him on soon to talk about his brand new book that just came out, the Christ key, uh, where he deals with this exact thing we were doing each week in our series. And he shows you how Christ is in every aspect of the old Testament. So we'll have Chad on to talk about that. We'll, we'll drop both of those resources, uh, in the show notes for you as well. Please pick those up, buy extra copies, start a small group, leave a review, um, it, once you've been through the resource and found it, it helpful, um, get this into the hands of friends, we got all sorts of great things for you coming up. Um, and as always, you can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. As I kind of mentioned, I think in the last episode, I've been canceled uh, by Mark Zuckerberg. So I am not on You're Facebook. Public, public enemy number one to Mark That's Zuckerberg. It. Yeah, it's he has get a picture from... of you on his desk with a circle with a red bar going through it. That's it. it. She starts at it, I guess. Um, so, but you can find me on Twitter. So I'd love to continue to dialogue with you. Um, and if you can't uh, interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, uh, you can always email us at contact at assuranceofpardon.com. Um, and uh, you can hit us up uh, on the website at assuranceofpardon.com. Uh, and until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.